Furthermore, the equation E is equal mc squared. Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio podcast. I am Isaiah Hankel with Cheeky Scientist. We have a great show for you today. This is the radio show for PhDs who want to get hired into their first or next job in industry and who want to thrive in business. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Isaiah here. Welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. Good to see you on. Thank you for being here early. Hello, Arcana. Hello, Bruno. Hello, Mark, Nadia, Amelia. If you're here, it means you are an associate. You get access to this show's recording and the members-only portion. We have a great show lined up for you. If you're joining us here, hello, and you can join us on Zoom as well. All right, so we are getting ready to start here. Great to see all of you on. Please do me a favor and say hello in the chat box if you can see and hear me okay. Hello, Bruno, good to see you too. Please change your drop-down menu to all panelists and attendees if you would. We're just gearing up to start here. I'm gonna start the, the live stream. We do a portion of this publicly, but again, if you're here with us in Zoom, it means you are an associate and you get access to the special members only portion of the radio show. We're gonna do live reviews, some interview training. So make sure you stay with us uh, to the very end if you can. Okay, so uh, on today's show, we are talking about business etiquette, which involves a lot more than you might think. You might think business etiquette is just how you dress. Uh, maybe which fork to use during a business dinner, it goes a lot deeper and it affects your day-to-day -day on the job affects whether or not you get hired. Um, so we're gonna be talking about all of these things. And we're just about live here. I'll wait for confirmation from Lisa that we're live on the public page. It's great to see everyone. Welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. Great to see all of you here. Today we are talking about business etiquette. Business etiquette. We have a very special guest today, best-selling author Jacqueline Whitmore who has written, has written several books on business etiquette. Now, what does that mean? It goes beyond, again, what you wear to the office. It goes beyond uh, which fork you use during a business dinner. It has to do with the day-to-day, -day, the culture. It has to do with, with whether or not you get hired uh, in the first place. Interview etiquette, networking etiquette, communication etiquette. Uh, you've probably heard this term before, business etiquette or industry etiquette. We're gonna break it down today with our business etiquette expert. And then we're going to be talking to a medical writing expert because we always like to dive into a trending career track specifically for PhDs on every single radio show. Um, so we'll be talking with Anand as well. Anand is one of our medical writing experts. Anand Devash Thanam. I believe I actually said that right. Uh, he's at Perexel. He's going to come on. He's going to talk about how to get into a medical writing role if that's the career track you're interested in, what medical writing the umbrella term means, and a lot more. So we're going to jump right in. 
to today's radio show. Thank you all for joining. If you're here with us in Zoom, or if you're watching one of our many camera angles, that means you are a Cheeky Scientist associate. Um, if you are a PhD watching this and you're not a Cheeky Scientist associate, you're interested in getting hired in industry, we have an association for that. It is the world's largest platform, PhD-only platform that helps PhDs transition into industry. And it has a complete blueprint for getting hired into whatever top industry job is right for you. It helps you find the right, top, the right industry job for you. And it has the world's lar largest PhD-only job referral network. We have a very special free resume webinar tomorrow at 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to share my screen and show you the page that you want to go to. It's cheekyscientist.com slash phd-industry-resume. Go to this page. We're going to go over our top 12 secrets. Those secrets are always changing. Make sure you tune in, even if you've tuned in before. We are going to talk about sidebar resumes during this webinar. Sidebar resumes are becoming increasingly popular for employers, including PhD employers. So if you want to learn about sidebar resumes, functional resumes, as well as our gold standard resume template that recruiters, hiring managers who hire PhDs keep telling us that they want to see. We're going to talk about all three of these resumes, show you how to create them so you have them in your toolkit to make sure that you're getting past applicant tracking system software and into the hands of an employer. And when you do get into the hands of an employer, you're leaving the impression you're showing them instantly within that five to seven second period that you're the right fit for the role and that you deserve a phone screen. So if you want to showcase your deservingness of a phone screen in that first five to seven seconds sign up for this webinar tomorrow thursday september 12th 1 p.m 9 p.m eastern standard time go to cheekyscientist.com phd-industry-resume only 500 seats are available so they are limited that's what our account allows in zoom 500 so make sure you not only sign up but you get there on time okay so we're going to jump into our first section here. I do want to show one more thing. We have a great article that touches on really the expansiveness of business etiquette and talks about how it's important even after you get hired. So if you go to LinkedIn, if you're not following me on LinkedIn, a lot of our articles are posted there. You can also follow Cheeky Scientist on LinkedIn. So just search Cheeky Scientist and follow our company page, or you can follow me, uh, Isaiah Henkel, on LinkedIn. The newest article is five things PhDs regret not knowing after getting hired. So check out this article. The URL is long. We'll put it in the post show notes, but it's a great place to start in terms of reading about business etiquette and everything it can include uh, specifically for PhDs. Okay. So we're going to jump on to the show me the data section and we're going to bring on Mary Truscott for this. One thing we like to do as PhDs is always talk about the data before we bring our guests on because it helps us understand the significance, the context, and a lot of the data that we look at, look at is business oriented, um, but it will help you understand how things are different in industry than in academia, especially in terms of today's theme, business etiquette. So let me make sure that we can get Mary on. Yay, here oh, I am. We did it. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good to see you. Uh, thanks for joining. I'm, I always like business etiquette topics because I feel it makes me feel like there's a whole new world, out, you know, that I can learn about. 
and that I know I'm probably not good about. But I think today, what's going to be interesting is seeing what business etiquette actually means. What do you think? Yeah, I can't wait to learn. There's always <laughs> more to learn, right? And, and yeah, just knowing what impression you have, how you communicate, that impact other people, what you can do to improve, be good. You froze a bit there. That's okay. I think oh, no. we'll just, uh, if you don't wave your hands in front of the camera, it might help. I think it's just buffering. Okay. <laughs> we'll I will try stay that. still. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. So uh, one of the things I'm excited, was excited to learn is um, how can you keep etiquette top of mind day to day and how does it affect things like productivity, uh, sh workplace stress, and so forth. Um, so with that, we'll jump in to the show me the data. For those of you here, please do me a favor and type in yes one more time in the chat box if you can see our screen. And yeah, please say hi to Mary if you haven't yet. Really hi, everyone. Grateful to have her on. Um, let me see if I can zoom in here. I think it's just, uh, there we go. That might help. So let's, let's zoom out in terms of what we're considering business etiquette. Would business etiquette likely fall under hard skills or soft skills? For those of you that are members here in the chat box, what do you think? I guess the answer is on the screen. It's not exactly a, a trick question, Toby, exactly right. Um, so what we're looking at here is a global tr uh, talent trends uh, report showing that 92% of talent professionals uh, indicate that soft skills are equally or more important to hire for than hard skills. Now, why do we keep coming back to this, Mary? Why is it an important concept for PhDs to understand? Because they don't realize the importance. There's a lot of focus in academia on technical skills. And I think also uh, something we don't always talk about is when you're trying to figure out what you want to do in industry, you're always thinking, or we're often thinking about our technical skills, mm. um, when really the soft skills, the transferable skills, um, I think can have a big impact on, good, on finding a good fit and, uh, and in getting hired, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, as a PhD, when you live and breathe technical skills and, and really the rest of it doesn't matter, right? And maybe you've experienced that. It's a little close to home. Maybe you have some people, a PI advisor, like these people have no soft skills whatsoever. So clearly it can't be important, but in industry, it really, really is. And I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was our, one of our cheeky scientist summits a couple of years ago, we had on Narender Garav, who was uh, a scientific director at Amgen and he's a director now at Takeda. And he said, look, I hire for soft skills first. He's a PhD, he hires for soft skills first um, because in a company format, you're doing very large things where the entire team is required and you're all going towards a single milestone. You don't just have your little separate project that you're trying to get published. And the team is only as strong as the weakest link. So if one person comes in, can't get along, doesn't have good business etiquette, they are let go very rapidly. First, they try not to hire them, which you can see here. Uh, it says, uh, it's imp what's it mo most important to hire for? 30% said soft skills, 8% said hard skills. That's the, the difference there. And then of course, 62% said soft skills and hard skills. So overall, 92% say soft skills mat matter as much or more than hard skills, which is a big number. Yep. Here's the thing that a lot of us don't think of. Like you get, you transition into industry, that's great, but then you usually have this 90 day uh, period of probation. And this is where you can get let go of very, very quickly because they want you to come on and make sure you have the right etiquette. And most people get let go during that probation period because of a lack of soft skills 
says 45% get let go because of a lack of soft skills. Only 11% get let go because of a lack of hard skills. Is this surprising to you, Mary? Uh, no, I, I don't think it, it's not surprising at all. I think it's uh, it's a tough one to swallow for for PhDs, right? It's it's again, it's the soft skills are just they're essential, not just to get hired, not just to learn to network, but to function in the workplace. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. I mean, we should always you know, be concerned about having the right technical skills, but don't lose sight of the transferable skills. Yeah, and moving forward, I, I love these series of figures and this study. It's going to really show you two things. One, business etiquette has a lot to do with just how you communicate on a day-to-day -day basis. And the how can be broken down into several different things, right? Like how in terms of the technology, how in terms of the style of communication, um, how in terms of you know, speaking up in a meeting, interview, networking, all of this stuff. Um, but first, let's, let's talk about why it's important. So this is a study uh, by the Economist Intelligence Unit. Uh, called the communication barriers in the modern workplace. 44% of respondents indicated that miscommunication has caused a delay or a failure to complete projects with direct impact on business. And 18% said that miscommunication has led to a loss of a sale. And then finally, 30% of, uh, oh, 30% of which were valued between 100,000 and a million dollars. Um, but let's, let's break it down in terms of the consequences of poor communication. So we're looking at different percentages here. What are the top um, consequences uh, of not having good communication or business etiquette, Mary? Um, the first one really spoke to me, added stress. Um, that's the top. And then just completion of projects can be affected. But I think I just want to touch on the stress part because I think often we don't, some people don't let on that they're feeling stress too, right? So this could be something that could be happening and you don't realize it um, and, and it can build. So I think, um, yeah, it's so important to have good communication. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if added stress to be so high, but also there's a big impact in terms of not getting the goals that the company's trying to get done, done, right? Failure to uh, complete a project, delay in project, missed performance goals. So they kind of, if you look at the top yep. four, you have added stress, mm -hmm delay or failure to complete a project, low morale, which is kind of under the added stress category, and then right. this performance goal, which is under, you know, missing a project. So not hitting your goals, people aren't happy. And it all comes down to miscommunication. And I, I know that when, you know, as even as Cheeky Scientist has grown, and I've seen, you know, other companies uh, that we collaborate with grow, people who over communicate do far better. <laughs> like you can never communicate too much. You can micromanage, but you can never communicate too much in terms of this is what's happening, asking for feedback, these kind of things. And that is at the core of, of business etiquette, um, which we'll learn about today from, from Jacqueline when she uh, joins us. So the, sa the same, same study cited the causes of poor communication include different communication styles was number one. Unclear responsibilities was number two. Time pressures were number three. We're showing a full list here. And again, we'll put everything in the post show notes. Um, was it surprising to you that just having different styles of communication really made communication break down and is the biggest obstacle to good business etiquette? Yeah, I mean, we, different people focus on different things in a communication. It can be the speed, the assumption, of prior knowledge, the different priorities. I think um, that, that, yeah, 
communication is sort of the foundation of everything. So the, the style in which you communicate has to match. I think even if it doesn't match with the person that you're working, you know, your tendencies um, to know other people's communication style, and I think we'll get to that later, um, can have a big impact. Yeah, what do you think for those of you here with us, Eugene, Toby, Christine, Verena, I'm, cu I'm curious, is this surprising to you? Have you ever talked to somebody and it felt like you were talking to a wall or somebody from a different planet? This happens to me all the time. Like, how do you not see what's inside my brain the way that I see it? And you're using the words and you're explaining something repeatedly the same way. Uh, I'll give you an example. Some people talk in terms of just results. Like, this is the result. Like, what, I don't understand why you would do something different than the data. And they're talking about, well, this might make people feel this way or do this thing. And you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, and you want people to understand, you know, it's hard to real, remember constantly daily that people see the world in a different way. They experience the world, they communicate the world in a different way. And until you really um, put that to the test or, or see evidence of that, I think it's going to make it very hard to adapt the way you communicate. And, and that's the biggest aspect of, of having good business etiquette is changing your communication style to match your audience. We talk about this all the time when it comes to getting hired. The person you're interviewing with, the net person you're networking with, if you just try to ram your communication style down their throat, you're going to fail, not get hired. But if you're receptive to how they communicate, if they're talking in terms of stories instead of terms of data, you have to meet them at their level. Um, so anyway, what are those communication styles? I love this next figure. It talks about the four communication styles, at least how they group them together. And there's four different types here. Let me zoom out a little bit so we can see them. Personal, 32% communicate on a personal level, so emphasis on human relationships and establishing personal connections. 27% are analytical, prefer supporting what they say with data and facts and tend to use precise language. Who does that sound like? in terms of the, our general population here. 23% uh, are functional, uh, focus on processes and think through plans step-by-step step so nothing is missed. 17% are intuitive, prefer to grasp, grasp the big picture to get to the point and avoid too much detail. So which one do you think you are or which combination? For those of you listening, I'm curious. Mary, what, what do you think? Which one are you or two? Um, I don't know. I see a bit of everything. I'd say a lot functional. I'm a process person. Um, but personal connections are important. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm a scientist, so there has to be analytical in there. I think, um, yeah, it's hard not to have that analytical jump out at you as a, as a PhD. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I see in myself very analytical and intuitive. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, Mary and I work so well together, uh, after figuring that out, because you want to surround yourself with a team of people who have different communication styles to you because otherwise you're blind in an entire area. So don't be thinking like, oh, I gotta, get, I gotta go work at a company where everybody's like me. Nope. Instead, as PhDs, you should be looking for companies who maybe have, you know, maybe they're very functional or very intuitive, but you're the analytical one, right? Or you're the functional one or whatever it is. And you're gonna be a huge asset to them. And people in management are gonna know that. They're not thinking like, oh, we just need more square blocks. No, they're gonna want some round blocks and some triangles. Yeah. And I think you can use the differences to your advantage as well. If you're someone who's, who the sort of personal side speaks to you, can have a lot of empathy and you can just say what I think I hear you saying is, uh, you know, whatever. And to just to, to clarify, ask questions, show interest and listen. Um, even if the style is different, you can figure, you can, you can reach your common goals. Yeah. And I mean, it, it always helps to, to, 
to realize, I mean, there's limits to this. You can create categories for anything, but understanding your style as a PhD is very, very helpful. And I was just talking about this uh, for those of you who are in the group on the, the Teaching Point Tuesday, yesterday, um, a similar uh, four grouping of the way people communicate uh, is uh, the DISC profile. Some people are highly dominant, which is the D in the acronym DISC. Other people are highly conscientious, which is the C, right? So the conscientious would be like the analytical, um, you know, uh, dominant are more people who want to just get to the, the, the large concepts and facts, don't care about the personal side, the eyes care about the personal side. Why are we talking about this? You need to consider the other person. Again, I go back to the interview example. I cannot tell you how many interviews I was in in my early industry career. Whereas the other person on the other side of the table just wanted to talk about nonsense is what it felt like. They were talking about a story of something that happened at work, whatever. And then I would just go back to the facts and say, this is, you know, they asked me a question. I would give them like a two word answer. I wasn't using the star technique to tell a story in return. Disaster. You can't do that. You have to really meet them at their communication style. Okay. So techno etiquette, which is fun to say, uh, in terms of business etiquette, there's also a technology factor now modes of communication. It can be very helpful to see how different people, different generations use technology differently. And we're just going to focus on the everyday here. I think the other columns are uh, not really necessary, um, but we're looking at email, instant messaging, phone, face-to-face -face meetings, and social media, and how much millennials, Generation X, and baby boomers use this. So in general, for those of you listening, right, uh, you're, you're going to be in one of these three camps. You might be a baby boomer, less of you, just from what we know about people that are in the association, although whoever's listening, it could be you, but either yeah. way, it's good. Oh to yeah, know. lots. Same with millennials. And then you might be a generation X, which is in between. That's the easiest way to think about it. So what's amazing to me was email, because I use email all the time, but I'm generation X and it's 71% uh, and I have no problem with it, but some people use it a lot less. Millennials and baby boomers use it a lot less. Um, what are some other things that jumped out at you here, Mary? Um, instant messaging. That seems to be pretty um, comparable between millennials and Generation X, but baby boomers, um, less than half the percentage, so only 12% use instant messaging. And I, I know just from our work, I mean, I can't imagine working without instant messaging. So yeah. it, it really, yeah, impacts things. Yeah, um, and and then phone was. I was surprised that phone was pretty high for everybody still. Um, you know, in terms of phone calls, face. Yeah. And I was surprised that I mean, face to face meetings was highest again for Generation X. Generation X was the generation that grew up. They say analog uh, when they were kids, and then we're digital later. Um, so you can see why that crossover might be there. And then social media finally higher in millennials, right? To use social media to. To communicate, which I think for some of the instant messaging platforms could be considered social media, right? Like for those of you who knows like what Slack or WhatsApp or Skype is, that might be social media versus uh, instant messaging. But why does this matter? Because when you go into a company, they're going to have a preferred mode of communication that says a lot about a company's culture. If I've worked at companies where they would call each other between offices or go face to face, that was it. Other companies have had a, would have like a Slack or an instant messaging platform that they would use and it would be in real time, which seems great, but it can also be exhausting if that's the only thing that they use and there's no different tiers of communication. All of it has to do with culture, etiquette, really, really important to know. Um, let's go through this one quickly. I just think it's 
important to understand that in business, you're going to have a lot more meetings than probably you're used to in academia. And there's a big part of business etiquette is meeting etiquette. So we're looking at uh, a bar graph here with uh, each bar has multiple colors uh, from, and they indicate uh, very significant all the way down to neutral, very insignificant or don't know. And then what we're looking at here are perceived impact on improving communications at work um, in terms of meetings and messages. The first bar graph is clearer goals for every scheduled meeting. Uh, number two, more face-to-face -face team meetings. Three, firm wide training to improve internal communication. Four, a wider range of communication tools and, and so on. If we're just looking at the first one here, Mary, was this surprising to you that just having clear goals and clear roles was important? I mean, not at all, right? You hear of people saying, oh, meetings, I'm in meetings all the time. I mean, it can take your whole day if you're not careful. So you need to stay focused and make sure that they're productive. Mm. Um, and, you know, while it's, uh, people are saying that face-to-face -face team meetings are important, that can, I think, remove some of the obstacles of potential to misunderstand people. Yeah. Um, but you always have to stay on topic, um, make sure you get things done. Yeah, and so just remember that if you haven't heard that phrase before, roles and goals, managers are told that over and over again, it's what will increase morale the most and leads to much happier perf uh, people performing and better performance. The more somebody knows their role and the more they know how their success is being measured, um, the better the organization is. And that's a big part of business etiquette, roles and goals. I do wanna show one last uh, uh, piece of info here. This is directly from Jacqueline. It's going to be a lead in to bring her on. We're going to bring her on next. Um, she has looked at a lot of studies on business etiquette and there is a great amount of, of information here uh, that we're going to discuss with her. Um, but basically soft skills, including time and stress management, problem solving, communication, and good teamwork uh, tend to work at, uh, at better firms and fetch higher wages, right? So, so again, Business etiquette doesn't just make people happier when there's better business etiquette. It also leads to increases in performance and profits. And, you know, this has been backed up from studies by Boston College, Harvard, University of Mich Michigan. Um, obviously, if the reverse of that is you have bad business etiquette, stress, health problems, lower performance uh, can affect uh, that workplace. So, Mary, thanks for joining. Great to see you. Thank you. Please thank Mary in the chat box if you would. That's the end of the show me the data section. We're gonna bring on Jacqueline now. I'm very excited to have her on. I'm gonna introduce her first. So I'm gonna share my screen one more time here before uh, fully bringing her on, though I see her now. Hi, Jacqueline. And uh, Jacqueline is an international etiquette expert and author. Um, she is a certified speaking professional and founder of the Protocol School of Palm Beach. Wish I was in Palm Beach right now a premier business etiquette and hospitality consulting firm. She's the author of two books, which I'll show you in a minute. Business Class, Etiquette Essentials for Success at Work and Poised for Success. Love that title. Mastering the Four Qualities that Distinguish Outstanding Careers. She is one of the most widely quoted etiquette experts in the world. Uh, her advice is, is in numerous publications, New York Times, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal. She's appeared as a guest on a variety of national radio and television shows, including ABC's 2020, CNN, Fox News, Anderson Cooper's 360, CNBC, and a lot more. She has served as the cell phone etiquette spokesperson for Sprint. What an amazing title. And the holiday etiquette spokesperson for Office Depot, Sam's Club, 
Clarisonic Skincare and the Dating Etiquette Expert uh, site, EliteSingles.com. Her website's EtiquetteExpert.com. And let's open up some of these things. I really want you to go buy these two books. Trust me, all of you have no idea what business etiquette means. I know because I had no idea. I thought I did, but I didn't. It is a whole world in itself. That's why we're so excited to talk to Jacqueline. But her first book, Business Class, Etiquette Essentials for Success at Work is here. We'll put all of this in the post show notes. It's in the chat box now for you. And then Poised for Success, Mastering the Four Qualities that Distinguish Outstanding Professionals. The website, of course, is etiquetteexpert.com. And we're all on LinkedIn. Many of us still looking for a job. So make sure you connect with Jacqueline when you get a chance and uh, show her how, how kind and how grateful we are as PhDs to have her on. Hi, Jacqueline. Thanks for being here. Hi, Isaiah. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm, you know, obviously, our audience has uh, not a lot of experience with business etiquette. Most of us think it has to do with you know, maybe what you dress or which fork you use during a business lunch. Um, my first question is, why does business etiquette fascinate you? Why did you write your books? Why have you made a career out of it? I didn't intend to become an etiquette expert, Isaiah. I actually have a degree in broadcasting and journalism, and I worked in the hospitality industry for more than a decade. And while I was working at the Breakers in Palm Beach, I took an etiquette course for executives. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it was something that I needed. I grew up with a Southern mother and a Southern grandmother, but I didn't have business etiquette skills. And I was put in a position where I was meeting and mingling high society and VIPs and uh, you name it, yeah. royalty. Yeah. And I needed to know how to conduct myself. Mm -hmm. And so part of it was curiosity. Part of it was I felt I needed it for my current job, and it led into me deciding to become certified in business etiquette and then start my own business. So that was 21 years ago. Wow. And uh, so since over that time, 21 years, how has the, the definite, definition of business etiquette changed, or how do you explain business etiquette to someone who has no idea what it means? Business etiquette is really treating others the way you want to be treated. It's that simple, mm. but it also can become complicated when you're put in situations, for example, email, you're sending an email to a prospective employer and you might include an emoji. A lot of our millennials out there and uh, Gen Y's and Gen Z's like to use these cutesy little emojis. They might, might like to use text speak. That doesn't go over well with, let's mm. say, a baby boomer. So mm. there's error, there's room for miscommunication, and that's where I come in. So I teach everything from techno etiquette to dining etiquette to professional presence, image management, uh, networking, anything having to do with putting your best foot forward and giving a good self first impression. Yeah. And, and, you know, you saw on, so I don't know if you saw on some of the data that we looked at, it seems like a lack of business etiquette can cause a lot of stress on a person organizationally, et cetera. So maybe what are some of the, the consequences of poor business etiquette in the workplace? 
Well, it can lead to a lot of problems. You mentioned stress being one of them. It can also lead to mistakes and embarrassment. I had one employer tell me that he was walking by one of his employees' offices and the employee had his shoes off. Now, you wouldn't think that would be a big deal, but people kick their shoes off all the time. Well, the problem was this employee oftentimes sees clients. And so if a client walks around the corner into this person's office, then you have a poor first impression. So it's a trickle-down effect. It all starts at the top. If the management believes in good business etiquette, then the other employees will jump on board. But there are a lot of consequences to poor business etiquette. One in particular, um, I had a student come to me, a PhD student, who said, I just can't find a job. And he said, my resume is up to date. And I looked at it. It, it looked great. However, um, he, the way in which he dressed, the way in which he presented mm -hmm. himself. He didn't even know how to maneuver a knife and fork. He was stabbing his meat like a wild beast. He was talking with his mouth full of food. He didn't even know how to tie a tie properly. All these things maybe you and I take for granted because we were taught the proper way, but not everyone grew up mm -hmm. In, in, a, in a household like mine where my mother insisted that we sit down every Sunday afternoon and have Sunday dinner together. Mm. So there's a whole new generation out there that is inquisitive. They're curious about this. And more importantly, they want to get ahead. They want to have some sort of competitive edge. And mm. I believe business etiquette can give people that competitive advantage. Well, you really know your audience. I'm really glad you said that because there is a purpose here. It will help you get ahead. It is uh, something that a lot of people won't spend time on. So let's say we have somebody, you mentioned a PhD, who thinks, I'm above this. I just care about the data. Business etiquette doesn't matter, the relationship. Like, I'm the smartest person in XYZ area. I don't need this at all. What would you tell that person to convince them otherwise? Well, first of all, I say congratulations. <laughs> Because if you're smart, that's great. If you have technical skills, that's even better. But as, as we saw from your diagrams and your, your facts, soft skills play a very important role in a person's success. And I'll give you an example. Um, I teach at Scripps Research Institute in mm. Jupiter. This is the top PhDs, the top scientists in the entire country. These people are brilliant. Mm. Um, I had one student um, come up to me and say, um, I, I want to become more polished. I want to become more professional. And she mm. got it because she said, I don't want to stay in the laboratory the rest of my life. She said, I want to be promoted. I want to raise funds. I want to meet with donors. Um, she knew the bigger picture. And a lot of times when you are smart, you're brilliant, you're talented, you are moved up the corporate ladder very quickly and you're forced to go into situations social situations where you are forced to talk to people mm. maybe you are in a um a role where a philanthropic role where you have to raise money for a certain cause maybe your mm. cause is um trying to cure alzheimer's or or whatever it is if you are uh, if you have any talent whatsoever, you will not stay in that position forever. Mm. And so you have to start planning now. You have to pave the road for success and business etiquette is a great tool for that. No, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think um, breaking it down and making it very practical will help people understand the importance. So maybe we can talk about, you know, for our audience, a lot of them are trying to network or take it networking seriously for the first time. Maybe they're going to interviews. 
maybe they get hired and they're trying to make a great first impression. What are some of the things they can do right now if they came to you and said, look, I want to get started just like the, the person who came to you that you described in your story. I want to get started on improving my business etiquette. What's the low-hanging fruit? What can they do right now? And what will have the biggest impact on, on a first impression that they could do right now? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned networking because networking is so important to all of us, regardless of what industry that you choose. Networking is not only what you know, but who you know. That's even more important because studies have shown that we get job promotions, we get referrals, uh, we get ahead in life because of all the people we know that can help us get to where we're going. So networking is vital. So it might be as simple as joining your area chamber of commerce. It might be mm. going to conferences, conventions, industry events, just getting your face out. And a lot of us, myself included, tend to be shy at times. And we don't like to be out in a room full of strangers. That's a given. Mm. I understand that. But sometimes we have to make ourselves get out and meet people. That means going to dinner parties. It might even mean volunteering for all kinds of things. If you are in a volunteer role, it seems less forced because you're acting in a service capacity. So let's say you live in a neighborhood. You could get involved in your neighborhood association. There's always somebody who knows someone who can recommend you. And don't be afraid to tell people what you want and what you need. For example, if you're looking for a particular job, don't be afraid to tell people, this is what I would like. Could you please help me? And finally, find good mentors. Be a mentor to others, but you also need your own mentor. These are people who are smarter than you, people who might, might or might not be in your own industry, but people who can help you develop the skills necessary for you to move ahead. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. And uh, a lot of us don't think about local chambers of commerce, um, you know, local other groups, uh, Toastmasters, stuff like this, I, I guess just networking to practice, right? Because it sounds like right. what you're saying is the most important thing is just get out in front of people because you'll start to learn um, what it, business etiquette is through through practice. I'm curious though if, if we could break it down into maybe some things to avoid. Like, what are some of the biggest business etiquette mistakes you see, you know, today maybe versus ten years ago or whatever? What do you see people um, making uh, now in terms of of errors uh, mm -hmm. that new people that get into the business world from academia uh, and so forth? Wow. Gosh, I, be, being uh, an etiquette expert, I see so many errors. It would be like um, if I were a, a hairdresser, for example, I would notice everybody's hair. Yes. <laughs> my mother was, uh, yeah, my mother was a, a hairdresser for 50 years and she used to do that. But I would say I would have to start with your dining habits because we all eat on a daily basis. We all go out to eat. So you can tell a lot about a person by the way he or she interacts with other people at a dining room table. And what I'm finding now is my clients are taking prospective employees out to dinner before they hire them just to see if they can carry on conversation skills, if they know how to order, um, what do they order, how do they eat it, uh, the, the particular types of food. They'll test them by saying, 
why don't you order a beer or a glass of wine? And this is a job interview. You're not supposed to drink on a job interview. So I see an enormous amount of dining etiquette errors. And that's one of my very most, my most popular program being an etiquette expert. I also have a huge um, interest in techno etiquette, the way in which we send email. This is the way most of us communicate nowadays. The days of face-to-face are long gone. I wish I could say we were doing it every day, but most people aren't. Mm. So I would say how you compose an email is just as important as Uh, how you write a business letter. Treat an email just as you would a business letter. Don't be afraid to be more formal because you are better off being more formal than being too casual. Use the spell check. Make sure your subject line is interesting. Stay away from colors and fancy fonts and and lots of smiley faces and uh, lots of punctuation over excessive exclamation points. Mm. There's just so much to business etiquette. And I have to say this because we are living in a casual society. Yes. Most people don't dress up anymore. I get that. In fact, I'm here sitting here in a very casual uh, blouse. I used to wear suits all the time. Those days are gone. So all I'm saying about that is that when you do meet with the client, dress for the client's comfort, not your own. So if the client is in banking or law or a more conservative industry, mirror their image. Don't show up in jeans and sweatpants and boat shoes and white athletic socks. Make sure that you're neat and tidy. You don't have to spend a lot of money on your clothes, but look like you fit in. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the focus on your audience, right? How do they want to communicate best? And that might be verbal, nonverbal. Um, so, so great insights there. Um, are there any particular companies or individual examples that you might be able to give of people who have taken business etiquette seriously, especially at the communication level? We showed a lot of data on that. You talked about tech, techno etiquette, et cetera. Any particular company cultures, any any examples, you don't have to name the company um, that you might be able to highlight. I find that wealth management firms are in uh, in need and also they are um, more apt to spend the money for Mm. this type of information. Because if you think about it, they're hiring someone with an advanced degree who's bright and talented and then you put this person in a social situation where he or she is meeting with high net worth clients. Now, most of these high net worth clients are probably over the age of 40 or 50, 60, and maybe even 70. Mm. So if you've got someone um, in your firm who's making mistakes, who doesn't know how to interact with that client or that client's spouse, then what's happening is the client may go somewhere else. And what does that mean for the bottom line? That means that that company now has to find a new client and that costs money. Mm. So I find that the wealth management firms are really keen on business etiquette. Banks, law firms are also becoming more um, aware of the importance. And I have taught just about 
any and every industry, uh, in, in, in every industry, because people are seeing the need for the soft skills. Mm. So whether you call it etiquette or not, it seems like that word etiquette has a negative connotation. Mm. It, to some people, it conjures up images of being stuffy or better than or um, old time finishing school. That's not it at all. I don't really mind what you call it. I just want everyone to know it's all about communication, the way in which you com communicate both verbally and non-verbally. Yeah, really interesting. And, and I want to ask two more questions, one on meeting etiquette in person, but first on meeting etiquette by video, like we're meeting now, like you said, it's much more common. So I'm curious, I wanted to frame it this way, if you're open to it, what, for, for me, and I know our audience will love this, what are two things I've done well during this interview in terms of business etiquette and two things I could do better in? <laughs> Am I grading you, Isaiah? Yeah, I want to be. I want to be graded. I don't want. I don't want free inside. I'm just saying. I've avoided drinking my coffee this time on purpose, and uh, I'm just curious because I think a lot of us don't think about video. We know that we should try to look at the camera, but what? Oh what, well, as you know, video is the way to go, and most of us are communicating um, via Zoom or Skype or some other methods. I would say, and this is for everyone, but I have to say that when you do a video interview, number one, you're dressed extremely well. You are, you have a, a dark jacket, you have a nice, um, you, you have a nice shirt, you have a tie. Now that may be for your audience. So dress again for your audience. You have a neutral background. So uh, you don't see a lot going on in your background. There isn't anything moving. There's a great YouTube video of a man who was interviewed on CNN, you you can Google it. Google um, um, CNN interview, uh, baby interrupts interview. It is hilarious. Well, uh, this man is sitting there talking to the newscaster at CNN and the door opens in the back and it's his little girl running in and then the wife running in after the child. So I would say eliminate all distractions. That's dogs, children, any ambient noise, close your windows. Um, before this interview, the the uh, lawn professionals were outside and I thought, oh my gosh, you're going to hear the blower. <laughs> but um, they're gone now, thank goodness. So I would say just eliminate distractions. Um, you're showing that you're listening by nodding, acknowledging, asking good questions. You're not falling asleep. You're not tapping away on your cell phone. Those are all things that we see all the time. Mm. So um, kudos to you. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And I think it, it's, it takes a while. I know it took me a while to realize, oh, you have to act the same way on video that you would in person. Um, in person, it's even more important. And I wanted to end with a conversation about meetings. A lot of uh, PhDs, they'll have maybe a lab meeting, a journal club, uh, going over a lesson plan. But in business, you know, the meeting etiquette obviously can vary, but it becomes very important because you're building alliances and internal sponsors and all this different stuff. So what are some things that you can do to have good meeting etiquette, um, whether you're just listening or trying to be heard by the boss with one of your ideas or, or even presenting? Well, first off, um, let me also say that interview was a BBC interview, so um, I stand corrected. Um, for meeting etiquette, I would say number one rule is show up on time. If you are just on time, you're late. So I would show up 10 minutes early, find your seat, make sure that you ask someone where you should sit, because if you sit down 
and not ask, you might be sitting in the VIP mm. seat. So that would be um, a bad thing to do. I would also say, come prepared. Don't show up without a pen and a pad and um, ready to take notes, ready to be engaged. And you're, you're invited to a meeting for a reason, not to sit there and just stare at people. You're invited because the, the host thinks you have something to contribute. So please speak up. Your opinions, uh, your facts, your, your um, information is important. So don't be afraid. So um, come to the table prepared, speak up, but don't speak out of turn refrain from sidebar conversations, refrain from checking your cell phone constantly. If you have to make an important call, step outside, step away from the table. Let the host know that you're expecting an important call. If you have to leave early, let that person know that you might be leaving early and sit in a seat that is not going to disrupt the meeting. And finally, when the meeting is over, make sure you know what your duties and responsibilities are and follow up and thank the host. There's mm -hmm. so many times we go to these meetings and we forget to thank the host for putting this together. So mm -hmm. you're going to stand out if you do all these little things. And I know it may sound like a lot of information to remember, but if you do this and make a habit of it, it becomes second nature. Well said. I love every one of those examples. It reminded me of a, one of the first meetings I went to at a company called Miltini. I sat in the meeting and I, I sat in the chair kind of at the head because I thought everybody was there. And then the CEO decided to join that meeting. Seriously, the CEO and looked at me when I was in the chair until I got up and moved to one of the other chairs. So this really does happen. It's really important. Everything that Jacqueline said is, is right on. And just having a pad of paper alone and listening uh, is something that most people don't do. And, and turn your cell phone off. Yeah. <laughs> turn it on silent. Um, yeah. So many times we go to meetings and, and we go out to lunch with our friends. And what's the first thing we do with our phone? We put it on the desk. What that signifies is that whoever is on this phone is more important than the person you're with. So you wow. want to put people first and technology second. Great points. Excellent information, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this. Um, for all of you listening, please do me a favor. Thank Jacqueline. If you have not already, thank her again, if you have, and I'm going to show her website and her books one more time here. You did mention you have a course, Jacqueline, I guess that would be under courses. I have under seminars. Um, there there's a list of topics that I teach. And for anyone who's interested in either one-on-one -on -one consulting, I can speak on any of those. Or if you work for a company that you think mm. might benefit from this information, you can just let the uh, meeting planner know. And I'm happy to go through these topics in detail. And I also customize. And you mentioned video conferencing. A lot of people who are getting ready to be hired into um, a, a corporate position will hire me to help them. I'll review their resume. I'll look at their interviewing outfits. I will check all their social media platforms. I will do whatever I can I'll, uh, to help them become more hireable. Mm. Excellent. And we're showing her books here again. Uh, Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate having an expert like you in business etiquette on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.
Okay, please do me a favor if you haven't yet, one more time, thank Jacqueline in the chat box. Really great uh, to have Jacqueline on and remember to check out her books that I was showing on the screen. They will be in the post-show notes. Poised for Success um, is the one and Business Class is the other and her website is etiquetteexpert.com. Great, uh, a great URL, etiquetteexpert.com. Are you a PhD student or postdoc who wants to get an industry job? Are you tired of being paid one third or less of what you are worth in academia, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you've been uploading resumes over and over again, but you haven't heard anything back from an employer. Go to phdsgethired.com and get our free materials on how to get hired in industry. All you have to do is go to phdsgethired.com put in your name and email address, and we will send you our resume guide, our networking scripts, and our other free trainings to help you start your job search now. Again, just go to phdsgethired.com. Okay, so we're gonna move right along and we're gonna bring on our next guest, Anand Devashthanam. I'll have him say the last name for me so I can get it right. I'm gonna show his LinkedIn profile here in a second, and then I'm gonna bring up his bio, and then we're gonna bring him on. Very excited to talk about the medical writing career track next. So every radio show, we like to bring on uh, someone who's working in industry, who has a PhD to talk about that industry. Uh, we usually focus on the top industries for PhDs. We want to get insights so that you can decide whether or not this career track is right for you. So this is Anand's LinkedIn profile. Please connect with him if you haven't already, especially if you're an associate. He's a medical writer at Prexel. Um, he's, he came through the Cheeky Scientist Association to be hired. Uh, his bio is here. He moved into his role at Perexel by leveraging his experience in publication strategy, regulatory affair guidelines and requirements, and specialized writing. His diverse background includes editorial and web content, uh, positions at the Royal Society of Chemistry, Toastmasters International, and he served as a scientific editor for the Alter Med Research Foundation. He has six years of experience at the Roswell Cancer Foundation in immunology and regulatory affairs. Uh, in his current role at Perexel, uh, he does research, creates, coordinates the development of independent review charters, IRCs, review manuals, imaging case report forms, CRFs. Notice all those are deliverables. Understanding what the deliverables are for individual medical roles is important. We'll talk about that. Um, and other clinical documents intended for submission to the FDA. Uh, Anand has served as the main client contact for IRC development, including presenting and leading client discussions. And with that, we will bring Anand on with us, and we'll talk to him about how he got into his medical writing role, what he does on a daily basis, and any other questions that you have. We'll see if we can get him to start his video here. All right, your co-host, Anand, you should be able to turn your video on. We got it. Look at that. Speaking of business etiquette, great, great suit and headset. I can see you Thank and you. I can hear you. Good. To, how are you? I'm well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see. I think you're frozen. There we go. See the hands always freezes the camera. So, so Anand, I want to jump right in and I want to ask you about your current role and what does an average day or maybe, you know, an average week look like to you? How much time are you spending in meetings? What departments do you interact with? What, can you give us some context? 
Sure, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that uh, surprised me about this role is uh, how much uh, communication it involves. I was making some quick notes when Jacqueline was speaking earlier about the importance of uh, etiquette specifically in having day-to-day -day conversations as well as in emails and so on, because that plays certainly a crucial role. Um, initially, when I was thinking about medical writing, um, I thought it was going to be a lot of writing and communicating with others once in a while, uh, which is how typically writing was uh, in, in academia where we you know, pretty much write about our own projects. But in industry, I think it's mostly getting information from different sources, um, communicating with people with a background in uh, medicine, um, regulatory affairs, quality, other scientists, other medical writers, uh, to some extent business development, and to some extent marketing, uh, and writers from other business units as well in order to get the information we need to develop different deliverables. The analogy that I like to use is you know, that of a baker who needs to collect ingredients from different sources and then you know, has to create the cake by letting it bake the right way. So mm. it's really about who you approach, how you collect those ingredients, how efficient you can be in communicating what you need um, and how quickly you can get that information in order to uh, put the document together and meet the, meet the necessary timeline. Excellent. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a, a large project management portion to a lot of medical writing roles. Um, and in many cases, you're, you're not managing the people so much as the sources of the information you have to get in the deliverable, right? Um, so in your case, what are some of the deliverables? You know, we talk about medical writing as this big umbrella term that can mean lots of different positions. And you, a really good way to understand the positions better is to understand what types of documents you have to, to deliver. So can you talk a little bit about the, the deliverables we mentioned that you do? And can you kind of compare and contrast the type of deliverables for, I guess, medical writing as a whole as, as much as possible? Sure, absolutely. As far as my role is concerned, uh, it would be regulatory medical writing. Uh, medical writing as a field, uh, as you had mentioned, is more of an umbrella term. And medical writers, um, as a group, we stratify ourselves into who we talk to in terms of who are we writing for. Mm -hmm. So regulatory medical writers, for instance, we develop documents which um, need to be submitted to the FDA or other notified bodies. So people who are involved in reading this document and making an assessment as to whether or not a drug should be approved or a device must be cleared for public use. That who our audience is as regulatory medical writers. We also have people who write to educate patients and patient advocates, people who write to educate other physicians and doctors, such as continuing medical education type of medical writing and so on. We also have medical writers who communicate with other scientists. And, and these medical writers put together documents such as abstracts, posters, manuscripts, slide decks, keynote addresses for major symposiums and so on. And then you also have the medical marketing or the medical affairs type of medical writing, which is involved in the type of uh, writing uh, that uh, liaises with medical science liaisons who go out and speak with these care providers. So clearly there's a lot of writing that needs to go in in order to prepare those types of materials and to prepare the types of marketing materials in order to uh, educate people on the products and devices. So that's another uh, uh, 
a subset of medical writing as well. But then again, I've only talked about the major types. Uh, there are, of course, uh, subtypes of medical writing. Uh, I've been in medical writing for two years, and within this span alone um, in industry, uh, there are so many new terms that I'm learning about and so many different types of niche medical writers that I've met. Um, it's just a fascinating field, and, um, and it's, it's just a very exciting time to be in medical writing. What are, if we just talk simply in terms of pros and cons of the position, what are the biggest pros um, from your perspective, even if, even if you're uh, a little bit biased, and what are, what are some of the cons if there, there are some? Uh, the pros is, you know, if you are someone who, um, if you're someone who likes to communicate the language of science, if you consider yourself as someone who is really passionate about translating the language of science to a language that anyone else can understand, you're really going to enjoy medical writing. Um, if you are the kind of person who likes to communicate with different people, gather opinions, and also uh, if you really enjoy writing, then uh, medical writing is certainly uh, something that you can consider. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a huge difference between I can be a medical writer versus I want to be a medical writer. And I think learning about medical writing and researching that field a little bit uh, helps you gauge on your own. Uh, it helps you assess uh, through a little bit of introspection whether you can be a medical writer or whether you want to be a medical writer. So those would be some of the pros. In terms of cons, you know, I can't think of anything at the top of my head, but then again, I'm kind of biased because I'm completely in love with this field and I've been wanting to break into medical writing for a long time before the break finally happened. Mm. However, I can, uh, you know, share a little something which I've heard from other medical writers, specifically in uh, the freelance field, um, you know, especially if they're working remotely, that the job can be a little uh, isolating. But mm. then again, I wouldn't really consider that a con because uh, I feel that isolation is something that you can cure on your own. You know, you mm. can find ways to uh, you know, reach out to people or change things about your life a little bit in order to make it less isolating. Um, so that's one, you know, con that I'd like to relay from uh, medical writers I've spoken with. Yeah. And I mean, I guess a con if you don't like writing, right? <laughs> but that's uh, probably a non-starter. So in terms of getting into the role, I, I think it's one where it's a bit different than other career tracks where you actually take like a writing test or an editing test. Can you talk about your story? Um, you know, and I, I want to go back to the challenges that you've had. You've been successful in this career for a while now. A lot of people watching, they might be in one of the more difficult moments of their, of their transition. Um, so like, what was your, what was your most difficult moment? I mean, I guess if you have to think about your job search or just making the decision to transition, what was, what was the, that darkest hour moment that you had and how did you come out of it? I think, uh, you know, one of the things that really bothered me is, you know, people just telling me that uh, I didn't have the title of a medical writer. Um, so I was, you know, struggling for a while to communicate my transferable skills. Uh, and one of the things, one of the feedback points that I kept receiving is, uh, you know, you have, uh, you have the background, you have the scientific background, you have, you know, kind of what we're looking for, uh, but you've never had the title of a medical writer so that's going to make it difficult for us to hire you. So I was stuck in that cast 22 for a while, not specifically as it pertains to experience, but specifically as it pertains to the title itself. So uh, I thought, you know, I, 
I felt powerless for a while, you know, because uh, I had the degree, I had everything that I needed in order to convince them that I can do the kind of writing that is expected in terms of the communication skills, in terms of the uh, client liaising skills and so on. However, the fact that I didn't have a title was something which was uh, discouraging many employers initially. Um, one of the things which really helped is that I began volunteering when I was in grad school. And I used that as an, uh, as an opportunity to pretty much convince myself and convince everyone else that I can not only be smart inside the lab, but I can also be smart outside the lab. I can not only write for other scientists, but I can write for different types of audiences as well. So what initially began as a volunteering role for the Ultimate Research Foundation based in Fort Collins, Colorado, kind of bloomed out into other types of volunteering opportunities, which uh, really helped in leveraging uh, my writing skills and the ability to communicate about my writing skills to um, people who I was interviewing with. Uh, so I think that really helped a lot. So even though I didn't have a job title, the fact that I was uh, able to demonstrate my persistence and the fact that I was able to say, you know, I'm not willing to take any excuse from anyone. Mm. You know, I'm beyond that. I'm beyond any excuses. So that kind, that level of persistence and push from my side, I think really played um, an important role in helping people realize uh, that I'm into medical writing because I really want to be in the field and I'm doing as much as possible uh, in order to get there. Yeah, and I, I love that story for those of you who are listening. You know, it just comes down to making that decision that you're 100% committed to this career track. No matter what comes against you, how many people tell you that you don't have the experience, whatever, it's very easy to hear stuff from people and think, oh, that's valid reason why I should just give up. Or that's a valid reason why I can't be a medical writer because I've never had that title before. But, you know, that's just a very typical chicken or the egg argument for any job. How do you get a job that re when every job requires experience if you don't have any? Of course, people get jobs without any experience in these roles all the time. So just making that shift from being powerless to focusing on what you can control and then committing uh, to your goal. Uh, I, I love that, Anand. Thanks for sharing. Last question I have is, what, so what did it look like for you? What was your big break? Was it a networking connection? And then how did the interview process progress? Did you have to take a writing test, phone screen? Maybe you could just walk us through that in, in a quick couple of minutes. Sure. So there was no writing test, um, but there were many phone screens, of course. Um, and what, what's interesting is that even as early as the phone screens, some of the work that I had done as a volunteer for other organizations came up in those conversations. So that was a really great opportunity for me to talk about the mm -hmm. fact that I had reached out and done these volunteering roles because of a sense of initiative. You know, the thing about um, academic writing is that uh, sometimes we need to write things because it's part of the curriculum. Um, you know, we all have to write a thesis in order to get that PhD or in order to get that master's degree. Uh, sometimes um, some programs have a requirement to publish um, a paper as well. However, many programs don't have that requirement. So uh, writing within academia is thought about as, uh, you know, something which is uh, pushing you along within the curriculum. So when I talked about the different types of writing that I'd done, whether it was a blog or whether it was anything which uh, was outside the curriculum, it was an opportunity to say, here's a sense of initiative, something which I could take on on my own, uh, something uh, which gave me a chance to push myself and that, and that I was not being pushed by the system in order to get this done. 
Mm. Um, so that was kind of the breaking point uh, to convert those phone screens into an on-site interview. And after that, you know, it was kind of a snowball effect. One interview led to another. And thinking back, etiquette also had a major role to play. And I also want to emphasize that etiquette is the thing that you begin with and the thing that you end with, regardless of what's in the middle. It could be good stuff. It could be not so good stuff. You could completely tank the interview. But if you begin and end with etiquette, then that's definitely a good step forward. Well said. Thank you very much, Anand, for your time and uh, for sharing your, your story uh, from the challenges all the way to getting hired and, and what you do currently. Great to see you. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Please tell Anand thank you in the chat box. Great insights. This takes us to the end of the public portion of our radio show. If you joined us and you want to get access to all of our radio shows and you want to get insights uh, in terms of when the next radio show is coming up, just go to cheekyscientist.com and you can sign up there on the homepage or you can go to phdsgethired.com, enter your name and email there, phdsgethired.com. You'll get access to all of our free materials if you do that. And then finally, don't forget about tomorrow's webinar on resumes. If you're looking for a job, you're not having any luck, you've been uploading resumes, not hearing anything back, you haven't been hired despite the job market being so high right now, go to this page, cheekyscientist.com slash phd-industry-resume, enter your name and email, and you will get a ticket to tomorrow's webinar on resumes. We're going to be talking about sidebar resumes, functional resumes, our gold standard resume template, lots of new insights to share. September 12th at 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you all. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. This takes us to the end of another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about transitioning into your first or next job in industry, just go to phdsgethired.com. Go to phdsgethired.com. We will send you all of our free training materials that will help you start your job search now or help you take it to the next level in business. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Pump up the bass. Ha 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 ha